Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick, and on today's episode, we are joined by none other than Connor Habib. Connor Habib is a, he's one of the more fascinating people I think I've ever interviewed. Um, his background is um, super interesting. He's an intellectual, he's an author, he's a lecturer, he is a former porn uh, performer and um, a sex workers advocate. And I have uh, come across him in other interviews that he's done on the Paul Check, uh, Living 4D. Another one of my favorite, uh, another one of my favorite podcasts is called Rune Soup with Gordon White, and he um, and on Connor himself has a podcast called Against Everyone with Connor Habib. And this is a fascinating um, topic of conversation that we're getting into today. We're talking about materialism. We're talking about scientism. We're talking about vaccines. We're talking about health, and. In this conversation, we really go into the the idea of how we see the world, how do we see it now, and how is it that we are continuing to evolve as people and the way that we think about ourselves and the world. In this episode, we talk about the definition of materialism, we talk about the definition of scientism, we talk about why materialism is a problematic idea, we talk about how the, how the biohacking community is contributing to the problems around scientism. Specifically for me, I love the fact that I am able to hack my biology and my mind and my lifestyle to be my best. And at the same time, it is sort of rooted in um, a lot of tech that I use. And um, I we have a sort of interesting conversation about it. We talk about how having a healthy body gives you a sense of clarity and emotional stability. We talk about the concept of I, we, all, and how what you do in your life, how does it benefit you, how does it benefit your immediate community, and then how how does it affect the all, the cosmos? Um, a very deep concept that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that I've been thinking about and meditating on really a lot lately. And um, in this episode, we also talk about the teachings of Rudolf Steiner. And Rudolf Steiner is one of the most prolific writers in um, philosophy and spirituality um, and um, farming practices. He created the Waldorf uh, education paradigm. Uh, and I'm just fascinated by his lectures, by his books. I've just been on this Rudolf Steiner kick for a long time, and his teachings are really relevant for today and how we're living in the world. This is a really cool episode. I think you're going to really enjoy Connor. He and I have a good vibe. We really enjoyed having this conversation, and I hope that you love it as much as I do. This is going to expand your brain a little bit, and this is going to um, push you, hopefully, out of your typical uh, way that you think about uh, reality and consciousness and um, the self. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Connor Habib. But first, one more thing before we jump into the episode. Uh, please share these episodes. <laughs> I'm asking nicely. If you find this stuff interesting, please text it to a couple of people. Share it on social media. You know, it's not always easy to do, but if you're listening on Apple iTunes or Apple 
podcasts, it's it, there's three little dots. So if you're listening to the episode and you go and click on the actual episode, like I'm doing now, it's going to start playing. In the bottom right-hand side, there's little three dots. Click on the little three dots in the bottom right, and then you can do copy link and then just send that. Post to Facebook, post to Instagram, tag me on Instagram, tag me on Facebook, and um, I would really appreciate that because, um, well, growing this growing this audience and growing the show is, is something that's really important to me. And um, also, please, um, buy the products from the sponsors. You know, I'm very choosy with who I work with as far as a sponsorship, and um, I will never support a product that I don't believe in, that I don't love, and that I haven't researched like exhaustively. So if you if you thought about buying Blue Blocks, buy them. Uh, buy buy blue blocking glasses from Blue Blocks. Um, I've got a couple other sponsors coming up um, that I'm really excited to talk about, and I really encourage you. That's 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 one way to support me, and just know that I've done the background, I've done the work to make sure that these this these are excellent products, and I want to give you discounts. So um, that's two ways to support me. Please share these episodes with your friends and family. And purchase the products that are advertising for this show because um, it makes this show possible. And that's it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Connor Habib. And we're here with Connor Habib. He's an author and the host of Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Connor, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hello. Hi. <laughs> this is this is cool. I you know occasionally I get to have deeper conversations about. Um, sort of the human experience and consciousness and and how to be in the world that that uh, that expand above and beyond you know nutrition and gut health and sleep hacks and stuff like that so I, I it's I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I just want to thank you for being here this is so great oh thanks a lot Sean yeah so I want to just go right to it the concept of materialism um, has me sort of spinning uh, lately and um, this is going to obviously spin off into other other topics. But I know that it's been it's come up in in recent um, podcast appearances and in your podcast as well. Um, how do you def- how do you define materialism? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good question, and the reason it's a good question is because it's one of those things that's so taken for granted that it actually becomes a little difficult to define. Um, but basically, my understanding of scientific materialism is that the world is made full of is made of objects um and uh material processes and that most of those are either um quantifiable uh or you know you can express some sort of quantitative analysis around most of them and if you can't you will be able to someday Mm -hmm. um through measurement using you know instruments but instruments that relate themselves to the you know empirical you know, to the senses, basically. So that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a relatively new idea um, and an idea that's mostly confined to one kind of culture, um, which is, you know, Western, so-called Western culture. So, um, and it's been around for, you know, a few hundred years and keeps getting more and more uh, dense and intense for everybody. <laughs> yeah, right. Increasingly so. Yeah, I, I I understand that when it when it becomes just part of the 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 again the Western sort of worldview is that if I can't measure it or I can't anticipate that I will be able to measure it that it doesn't exist and that is just not the way <laughs> that is just not the way it's been. I I wonder I, w- I want to go a little bit further into um, why. 
what what's what are what are the issues of this gravitation and this the, this this sort of crystallization of this idea of materialism in the West? Like, why is this a problem for us? You mean why is it why is it a problematic idea, or why is it causing problems? Because uh, those are two. Yeah, let's start. Let's start with why is it a problematic idea? Okay, I mean they're they're actually they go kind of hand in hand. I mean one of the most apparent obvious reasons is because it's just a reiteration of colonialism. I mean, the idea that uh, every single culture throughout history, and then also especially relevant to cultures that exist now, um, that aren't Western culture, that don't subscribe to materialism in the same way, uh, are stupid or just need to catch up or whatever. So we have that problem, which I think is a pretty big <laughs> pretty big problem and <laughs> underlies the so-called new atheist movement that, you know, was sort of pushed by Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, um, Christopher Hitchens and, uh, and Sam Harris, who, you know, most of them have said pretty racist, um, disgusting things and certainly had, you know, interest in imperialist wars and all that kind of stuff. So, so there's that, um, and I think that that one really needs to be taken seriously, that actually, um, what does it say about us if we can't accommodate anybody without thinking that they're stupid or primitive if they haven't, quote unquote, caught up to materialism? Um, I think also, so that's that's the first one. I think um, it just it's lost its value. I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it's demonstrably true anymore. And I think that there are a lot of people who have done research in many different fields over the years that can just sort of point that out, whether we're talking about physics or psychoanalysis, whether we're talking about health and wellness, whether we're talking about, um, I don't know, anthropology, so on and so forth. There are just lots of biology even. Um, and I think also, um, when it comes to just sort of thinking through materialism historically, the idea and the way it's cemented now is based on a certain method of science and a certain uh, view of objectivity. And in fact, actually, methods of science and concepts of objectivity have also changed over time. Mm. And that those are recent changes, you know, so the and and also right now, by the way, you know, the way that science is practiced can be different from country to country and culture to culture. So this idea that there's a sort of monolithic method um, is also incorrect. And that's what materialism hangs its hat on. But one more thing, which is that materialism doesn't have to be just scientific. There are political philosophies um, that express the idea of materialism. And I actually, I find those less objectionable in the way that they view the world. There's something interesting about um, dialectical materialism, which is something that Marxists and socialists often say, or you know, certain uh, atheistic philosophers, that sort of stuff. They can have really interesting nuanced versions of the world and actually be very sort of caring, compassionate people who are working to do the right thing in the world. But um, I find it in some ways more objectionable in the sense that y there's no uh, there's no sort of uprooting that philosophy in the face of the evidence um, and and its consequences. So, you know, uh, but 
ultimately I'd rather side with them than this sort of scientific materialist. So anyway, that's a whole, <laughs> maybe, maybe that last one's a little inside baseball, but I think the other ones were pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's make that connection then between, between scientism. I, I guess we're going to have to define a whole bunch of terms here. Um, you know, cause, cause the, the people listening this up to this episode with you are, you know, um, focused on personal performance and focused on personal growth. And, Mm -hmm. and especially within the biohacking community where a lot of folks are really focused on quantification. What's my heart rate variability? What's my, you know, glucose, right? So, so it's like, we want to be better people. We want to perform at our highest level. And there is this continued movement that I, I don't really jive with the transhumanist sort of agenda. Mm -hmm. That's not my thing. But I do want to know if my blood glucose is in a spot for me to be <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. I don't, I don't want the chip. I don't want the quantum tattoo. I don't want any of that stuff. Um, but yeah. I, but I do want to know where I'm at my body. So, so I guess going back to like sort of defining terms, um, help us, help us understand <laughs> scientism. Yeah. And I mean, a great way to talk about it is what you just said, because a lot of people find themselves saying that they're against not, not to call you out on your own podcast, but a lot of people sure. are saying that they're against, um, you know, technocracy and transhumanism and the singularity and all that kind of stuff. But then they fall into in their own lives, this kind of obsessive tracking of their own patterns and behaviors um, through Fitbit or whatever else it might be, which, of course, are tools and aspects of that technocratic system. And that's where you end up reaching a, a kind of stalemate where people end up um, – yeah, they end up, I think, and I don't mean you specifically, of course, but mm-hmm. they end up, um, you know, sometimes having belief systems that are a bit, you know, incoherent or, or discordant, you know, down to the core. So why do I, why does this matter to people that are doing health and wellness stuff? Okay, so because you've all been waiting for that, listeners, because I was just talking philosophy shit until now. So the, no, the good. point you're, is, good. <laughs> okay, okay, good. You're fine, you're fine. I just try to imagine your audience versus mine and the kinds of differences and what people listen to the podcast for. So well, that's, it's um, just to cap, just to qualify. Yeah. So my listeners have also listened to episodes with Dean Radin and Bruce Lipton yeah, yeah, yeah. and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and Vedic right. Astrology. And so, right. you know. No, they're obviously like a smart bunch of people. I just know like, you know, when I turn to a, a biohacking podcast or whatever it is that I want, it's like you're looking for that bit, right? You know, that important. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think I think just the way to view that health and wellness tracking in your life, which is, is important and does, of course, yield um, demonstrable physical results, is to say like, okay, this is the product of a system that was a sort of intervention in human evolution. Like in the same way that there are religious interventions, religious revelations throughout time, which give people a deeper insight um, or philosophical ones like you have um, (laughs) these, these two are kind of opposed, but you have like Buddha, the Buddha, who's, you know, talking about a certain way of viewing your body, your desires, your life, all that kind of stuff. And then you have Freud, who's talking about a certain way of viewing sex and um, viewing sexuality and viewing your desires and your drives and so forth. Those all come into humanity and they affect everybody. They're these huge like ripple out effects, you know, and they become part of human consciousness, part of what we build our lives on, part of what we build uh, our society on. And the same thing is true for materialism at an even larger level and scientific materialism. So it's great 
it was necessary. It had to happen. It's part of who we are. But now it's time that we sort of envelop it and move beyond it. Yeah. Like we use the tools and we begin to understand what it is. And, and you know, that will actually help us deepen our ultimately our scientific rather than scientific knowledge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, I mean, if you want to think about uh, moving past scientific materialism as a performance goal, you could probably do that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Oh, good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think it has to happen because, you know, um, this I, I've, I've been a witness just in the last really, you know, just this year, uh, last year, this is a witness to the the sort of biological sovereignty advocates who are who are about natural foods and natural health who have no interest in, in the vaccine um, and they're now this this group that I sort of lump myself in with you know the Sayer G's of the world um, you know Thomas Cowan uh, you know to to a large extent um, you know Robert F Kennedy Jr. These these sorts of folks who who believe in the body as a as a God given this this powerful tool that that is that is complete as is and maybe that's a bit of a stretch but what's happening now is that for for the progressive types of people who believe my body my choice but then my body my choice ends the, <laughs> when it's time to um, make a vaccine mandatory. And so there's this like philosophical shift where the, the really the really progressive natural health folks are now like fringe wackos uh, who are just trying to believe in, in personal health and um, and biological sovereignty and that that is that's a scary thing now that we have to defend that because the old guard is still connected to that sort of scientific materialism. Well. <laughs> Yes, but let me let me just sort of add to that and just to sort of um, not push back because I appreciate the concerns that you're bringing up. But I think it's actually a bit more complicated um, than what you presented. And the reason why, although I certainly have sympathy with people who want to eat organic or biodynamic, um, who want non-industrial agricultural products, who want to end factory farming and the ways that, you know, a lot of these sort of health and wellness things are linked to actually quite progressive uh, agendas, you know. Um, I think that it is true that there's a an intense kind of pushback on that right now. And a lot of that has to do with masks or vaccines or whatever. On the other hand, I want to say, at what point are people in natural health communities themselves adopting the kinds of materialism they say that they're against by saying that their body is what they are and that um, overcoming technology and technological advances and medical advances and all this kind of stuff is an impossibility if the body is changed in some way. And so it's like, to me, that represents a bit of a problem. And that's part of the sort of discord I was talking about before where that's still a form of materialism. It's not, you know, it's not that, and and so in some ways I can have sympathy for either side of this argument because, you know, the people, a lot of people who are saying, um, you know, I don't want vaccines, I don't want, you know, to wear masks because of this or that reason. I understand the concerns there and I also understand the concerns of people saying, well, you need to get everybody vaccinated or this strategy isn't going to work and so on and so forth. 
But to me, both those sides represent just sort of um, uh, different images of materialist thought. What's more important to me is what's happening in the inner in the inner world and how we respond and also how we meet each other across that aisle of complete, um, I wouldn't say across the aisle, that's too congressional a term for me, but across, <laughs> across the gulf of complete, um, misunderstanding. How do we, how do we meet one another knowing that actually that difference might be irreconcilable mm. and how can peace come from understanding that? And it, it, it unfortunately, or fortunately, is forced by an issue of a vaccine because a vaccine is the the concept is everybody needs to get it for it to work, um, and so we now have a problem where everybody is roped in um, by virtue of you know the the idea that's being presented to us, and so now we all have to figure out how we're going to manage this together. Yeah. And I think actually the way to deal with that is to step away from materialism altogether. Um, I think that we have something available to us, which is, this might not go over so well with people, but Mm -hmm. which is an inner responsibility to, um, understanding vaccination, um, for ourselves. Because what I see happening is there's people who are like, Yes, this vaccine 100% is going to work. It's going to save us. We're going to be able to open Zara again or whatever the fuck people want, you know. <laughs> and then there's people who are like, no, this is going to turn us into blobby, you know, like robots that are hooked up to Google and, you know, what, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and they're both spoken with absolute certainty. Hmm. So you see that actually the materialist problem relates to the idea of gathering a version of the world and a vision of the world that's based on gathering factual materialist evidence. Hmm. So my call is never to tell people to not take the vaccine or to take the vaccine. Um, I think people will live in horrible anxiety, you know, can live in horrible anxiety if they don't (laughs) get to do the materialist option that they want there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's more important for us to be honest about the conversation we're having with each other and say things like, you know, I don't know if this actually is going to harm my DNA, um, my cells. I don't know if, you know, um, this is substantially different from vaccines that came before. And it's a big experiment. And it's important for me to get rid of the anxiety of being around my friends and getting on planes and stuff. So I'm going to take it and be part of that experiment. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I'm afraid of that. I don't completely know if I'm right. Maybe actually there's an issue here. Um, so I have reservations about taking it. Mm. See how different that conversation is. And we, and and it's not a conversation that the state or a drug company will ever have, ever, right? I mean, imagine how fucking amazing it would be if Pfizer were like, we don't actually know about this compared to some other vaccines that right. we have. We don't have the data and we're not able to be transparent with the data until 2022 for various reasons. So, but we think 
and I, I, I don't have any reason to trust Pfizer or Moderna or what, whatever. I mean, they, they've done terrible things in the past that I think are well documented. But, it, you know, but if they would say that. <laughs> yeah. See how and, and why does that matter? Because people probably are thinking, well, yeah, but sure, I could just say, you know, like it's OK and then I'm going to, you know, poison myself with this thing. But actually, like if the materialist conception of the world is incorrect, then we have a duty to go to the place that is correct, which is the inner spiritual life. And what does that do to the planet? What does that do to connectivity? What does that do to the political field? What does that do to the social organism and the social bonds we have yeah. with each other if we're willing to do that? See, it ripples out in a way that not even having these kinds of material, physical resistances do. It really does something to the planet, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to take an interest in the other rather than forming a wall yeah. made out of ideology around you and your community. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a much on. It's a much more honest conversation, and it do, it does take the sting out a bit. It 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 it's not absolutist, you know. Um. And and I, I've softened a bit. Uh, recently, honestly, you know. Um. I I, I've had Del Bigtree on the podcast, and we've talked about vaccines. We I've had Del Bigtree back on the podcast in March, when we first saw, uh, when we first saw the coronavirus come out. And, you know, his, his comments in mid-March have held up pretty well. They've aged really nicely. But in the course of the time um, from now until uh, – from then until now, I've softened a bit. And, and, I, and I've sort of put down my, you know, don't get it. Don't, don't get the vaccine um, picket, picketing sign because I, that's not cool. <laughs> I, I can't – I don't want to tell anybody what to do. I want to provide information and, and have interesting conversations and allow people – that space and flexibility to come to their own, um, to come to their own suggestions. You know, I, I stated, you know, I haven't vaccinated my kids. My kids have never had a shot before they're seven and five. And I had to join the congregation of universal wisdom in order for my, you're thinking, what the fuck is that? In order for my kids to go to school. Um, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, duck, duck, go church of universal wisdom. If you need a vaccine out here in uh, the United States. So, I have softened because you're right. I don't want to tell anybody what to do. That's not honoring their own sovereignty. That's not honoring their their um, their reality. And when you say that, like you did, it's like, well, I don't really know. I, I it's worth the risk to me. I think that's what everybody's feeling. I mean, I think honestly, if they look at them inside themselves, that's what everybody's feeling. Like, I don't know, but we attach ourselves to these positions, which are totally. absolutist, and then that that just creates this division, this us versus them. And that's, that's no, that's no future. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, two things to that one, it's like people have real values. I think that that's the thing that's so frustrating for people who don't want vaccines is like, like they're dismissed as not having real values or concerns. And I think that that actually is what polarizes it into this place of absolute certainty. And I think people who really want everybody to get vaccinated also feel that they have values that are under threat. Um, as, as ridiculous as anybody might find either side, but the, but the bigger point for it in a non-materialist way is like, remember when, um, you know, in, in the U S 
people used to believe in politicians and the government and thank God they're, you know, they're, they're doing it for us. There's this real patriotism. Mm -hmm. There's the idea that they're all sort of out for us. And then we can take Nixon or JFK's assassination or whatever we want. There's like this moment where someone's consciousness was shattered, but it still had this idea of like the bad people will be held accountable. And somewhere after that came we all politicians lie. They're just liars. That's just how it goes. They're just all liars, right? <laughs> and so, in other words, think about that from a non-materialist perspective. We imbibed into the psyche of human beings the idea that the lie in politics was normal. And so that's why I talk about it in this way rather than leading over to one materialist conception or another. Mm. It's like, well, actually, no... Like, do we want to imbibe the lie? That's the problem that we have here. It's not the lie, and the lie isn't the vaccine. The lie is the certainty that lies around it, and anybody on this spectrum can take it, take it into themselves. So that's why I just say to people, like, like you know, if you're gonna do it or not do it or whatever, like, be aware of what's going in on a spiritual level, mm. and. <laughs> And I think it's just, it's so hard. I feel like I have to keep couching like my statement in the, in the words, like, I don't mean like that there's going to be some secret sigil written on the, you know, the substance of the vaccine. And that's what I mean on spiritual level. I mean, inwardly what you do and how you connect with this action. I, I just know, man, like I just know people that they're going to be well, and maybe this is my certainty, but I, I definitely experience people who are just going to be far worse off if they don't yeah. take a vaccine. I mean, that's it. Like, don't we all know people that are f freaking the fuck out, right? And you must also know people that are like living in total tension and fear and frustration around taking it and what will happen, you know, although sometimes I think you know, it's the same thing I sort of thought with the election. I just thought, well, people don't care who's going to win so much as they just want it to be over. You know, so yeah. I sometimes think like if everybody just got vaccinated, like people would actually be over the fear of it. And yeah. then they just have to deal from there, you know, which right. is a different thing as well. But, um, it's fatigue, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so much fear built up around it, uh, again, around information that's presented with total certainty but is not actually totally certain and gets politicized and put into these positions of real, like, dominance for the worldview. So uh, anyway, hmm. I, we've talked about vaccines a lot, but I think, um, you know, definitely everybody I, – I knew it with the mask stuff. I thought it, oh, if this was – if I thought this was bad, like the vaccine stuff's going to be even more intense, you know. Um, so I'm not sure, I hope that people take away from that, that the real lesson is, you know, it, it would, it would suck to get sick and die of coronavirus. It would suck to get sick and die of a vaccine that doesn't work, all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is we get sick and we die and, um, we die and that's part of the conception of that should be part of the conception of our lives. And so the question is, how do I want to live and how do I want to treat the other and how do I want to mm. find other people and allow and make room for them and be loving, yeah. you know, not a, it's not a question of survival.
Yeah, it's not a it's not a, a war. Uh, it's not a battle to be to be fought against people who disagree with you. And, and I and I totally agree with that. And and one thing that that kind of tying this back to to health and performance is we know that if you're taking care of yourself, if you get this, if you believe in <laughs> this, this is the hard part. Is that I, everything's qualified, right? If you believe in in, in pasture versus the <laughs> terrain theory and you believe it's a virus and you get it like if you get it and it is a virus and viruses are real uh, and you have you know you're you have a a flexible metabolism and you don't have these pre-existing conditions and obesity and you're not pre-diabetic you're 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 gonna bounce back you're gonna you're gonna Mm -hmm. uh, be more uh fortified against this and and that's just the this is just kind of a statement but it's just just really disappointing that it has taken so long and we still don't have the advocacy from from leadership that we've been trained to sort of follow that hey you should like watch what you eat you should eat real food you should walk you should get some vitamin d you should you should be able to you know to keep yourself healthy so that you're just um more resilient and and that that still isn't the narrative and um, it comes down to personal choice, and I want to kind of tie that back into. I want to kind of tie that back into th- th- a question, which is how, in in gravitating away from materialism and scientism, um, how can a what is the what is the opposite of that, and how does that tie into our own our own personal health journeys? You know, how, how can we, if we get our spirit really dialed in, right? If we get, if we get our meditation and we get, you know, um, these sorts of biohacking, you know, whether it's red light therapy or, or cold plunges or stuff like that, like what is connect the dots if you can, if there are dots to be connected. <laughs> like what's the point of doing that? If, if we're non-materialist, is that kind of what you're yeah, asking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just one quick announcement and then we'll jump right back into the show. This episode of the OPP is brought to you by Blue Blocks. To effectively combat the negative effects of artificial blue light during the day, it's essential to wear blue light filtering computer glasses. Five years ago, this wasn't even a thing, and now they're pretty much standard for all corrective eyeglasses. These glasses filter out harmful blue light from digital devices, allowing you to beat digital eye strain. To beat seasonal affective disorder, along with depression and anxiety, it's paramount to wear mood booster glasses that contain a light yellow lens. I wear my summer glow lenses from Blue Blocks every single day when I'm working on screens and around the house when I'm feeling a little bit low. This helps reduce stress, causing wavelengths of blue light whilst brightening up my view of the world. Head to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, and pick yourself up either a pair of the summer glow glasses with the yellow tint or the blue light glasses if you're spending all day looking at screens working on a computer. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use the code OPP for 15% off your purchase. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, I mean... You know, uh, 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 the, the physical part, the, bo- the part of your body that appears to be physical to you, because <laughs> that's how it, that's how we characterize the external, the external world is the part of your internal world that appears to be outside of you. Okay. So you're, so the physical, the part of your body that appears to be physical to you can cause a lot of disturbance, um, if there's a problem in it. 
okay? It could cause a lot of disturbance in your emotional self and your rhythms in your uh, way of thinking uh, and your ability to think. And so, you know, one of the things to say is like, you know, a healthy physical body does provide you with a sort of freedom. And so I think that that's really important to keep in mind. Like it creates a kind of transparency for you. Um, now, uh, like the, be, between all your the other aspects of your being, um, you know, and, I, and so I think that that's why you do some of those things. I think, again, though, and I think people will I think people will probably resonate with this. Um, you know, when you go to the gym uh, or you do a cold plunge or whatever, you know, one of the things that we all know is that the rhythm of that activity, doing it each day or every other day or whatever, has just as much an effect um, or, or has much as much weight and profundity behind it for your health as like what you do there exactly it's like if you do a little bit of yoga you do a little bit of meditation where so it so that's something to pay attention to because rhythm generates a kind of strength in the will um the the activity the the behavior it it generates a the a strength that allows you to do Mm -hmm. you know um it generates um it generates a kind of uh, emotion, sense of emotional stability, you know. And so, and what else is lifting weights? I mean, it's rhythm. It's a kind of rhythm, you know. And you um, lift one way again and again and again, and then suddenly you do a burst and you break the rhythm, and you break the rhythm not to not to break the rhythm and add extra weight to add strength, but actually. <laughs> You, I mean, this could be disputed, but you break it because then the challenge is coming back to the rhythm, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. like people who have a free day on a Saturday where they eat well all week and then on Saturday they just fuck off. Mm-hmm. The point is, yeah, it does give you a kind of uh, day to just eat all the gummy bears and shit that you want. But it also means that you have to reestablish the rhythm. So then you're also building your strength of intention, mm. your strength of being able to um, come back to y- your decision to have rhythm. Right. So in other words, it's not just a boring pattern that just takes you through and eventually doesn't give you any results. You're actually throwing it off constantly so you can re-decide, re-intend. So those are non-materialist versions yeah. of what exercise can give to you. Can I, yeah, let me let me sort of echo that back to you. Um, so it's less about you know um, increasing uh, testosterone in your system, or or less about the actual building of the muscle, but more about the process of of transmutation, of physical change inside. Well, not physical change, but in intention, in process. And in the non-physical benefits that you receive from doing a thing and sticking with a thing, and and mm-hmm. but but those results are manifested physically, right? You know, like that's a tricky yeah. part for me. I mean, like in the yogic practice, right? We know that yoga came came as a as a means to sit longer, right? You do these stretches, uh-huh. you do this these these yoga stretches and these postures and stuff, so that you may sit on your butt and meditate for longer periods of time. Because that's mm-hmm. the payoff, right? I think yeah. I, f- I find that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all it's 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 all to a purpose. I mean, it's it's important. Something I've been saying to people a lot this year is it's important to think of your um, your actions in 
an I, we, all version of things. So something that Paul Check, my friend Paul Check, will say is like, you you have I, we, all when it's like you have to take care of yourself. I take care of myself first, then I can take care of others, then I can take care of everybody. But I would say also when you're building habits or you're building goals, think about them in those terms. Hmm. What does this do for me? What does this do for others? And what does this do for the cosmos? Those are that's a tricky question. Yeah. But but that's also another way of thinking about it, you know. I love that a lot. I had I had your your appearance on. If anybody wants to go deeper, if you're like, oh my god, Connor's amazing. Where can I, <laughs> where where can I get more? Go listen to his podcast against everyone with Connor Habib. But also go listen to Living 4D with Paul Check. You know, my listeners will remember the the, the episode of Paul joining. But that I I want to go a little further there because that that's fascinating to me. Um, I, we all, what, what actions can I take today that benefit the cosmos? And I think for folks, uh, who have a certain platform like yourself, like Paul, like myself on a, you know, in, in different ways, it's like that I'm always optimizing for that. I'm always optimizing for what I'm going to, I moved out here so, so that I can, I can grow chickens and be closer to the earth and have some peace of mind and not, you know, have 5G all around me all the time. So why is that good? Well, that takes care of me. It takes care of we. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to be able to eat stuff from my garden. Then the all part comes from the ability for me to still continue to do my work and have interesting conversations and provide information to people that may inspire them to, to live their life with more purpose. I would love to hear. I would love to hear you go just a little bit further down the rabbit hole about yeah about the you know honoring uh, benefiting the cosmos and our behaviors. Yeah, well, so part of what it does is it forces you to get real with what you think of the cosmos and what you think of the community and others, right? Yeah. So, like, when I think about here's one. So, like, if you want to read more, right? It's really easy to think of an I or me version of that. It's like, well, it'll make me smarter. It'll make me happy. I'll be able to chill out, right? But it gets kind of hard when you're like, what does that do for the community, right? And then you can sort of really sort of think into it, and you're like, oh, it actually makes my community and my locale quieter. I'm actually just sitting there with a book. There's no noise, mm-hmm. right? Like just a little thing like that, that contribution, because think of how different that is than someone blasting their fucking music. Not that there's not a place for that, but just think about what that offers. You know, it offers more soundscape to people. Um, It offers like uh, it offers a contribution to the world of literature or whatever, you know, realm of the book is from that you're reading in. So it's offering back to that community Mm -hmm. as well. And then the cosmos, and this is what I mean by we have to sort of think about how it um, how it affects us or what what our ideas of what the cosmos is and humanity is and in ourself. But for me, I would say like you're actually contributing to the growth of the imaginal realm because you're doing this imaginative exercise, mm. which is you know you're you're contributing to the uh, usefulness of symbols and alphabets, and you're contributing to. Uh, yeah, you're you're contributing to connectivity between if it's a dead author between the dead and the living, you know, it's like there's all these kinds of things that happen. And so you have to you have to sort of suss out your, you know, but I often find also when people don't have their habits right, like when they can't nail a habit, it's because it's lopsided on one of those tiers. Like they've got all of them for one, but they can't figure out the others. Right. And even just sort of forcing it 
like it okay it's this and this and this like even just that can help even if you sort of fake it till you make it with it you know uh, yeah yeah oh man you just blew lots of minds with that comment <laughs> <laughs> that's it right there oh i love that i love that a lot you know the i think for people who you know want to be their best who want to perform at a high level, they want to be healthy, they want to do their thing. A lot of folks who are working at jobs that they hate um, are, you know, maybe fit, you know, strong, learned, focused, and have this job that they just despise, right? And so I, I think it's mo- I think it's most people. I think a lot of, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to assume, but I think a lot of people focus on their fitness and their health and, and, um, as a way to kind of keep their shit together and they mm-hmm. have this job that they don't like. And a lot of people, and, as, and I'm a life, this is going to sound very life coachy, but a lot of people don't know how to make that, make that connection between I've got this great lifestyle. I really like it, but I've got this shit job that takes, you know, 40 to 50 hours of my week where I'm not with my family. How is there, and if, and if maybe, maybe you can share your thoughts a little bit on how people can, you know, get their mind right, get their body right, get their spirit right, get their practices right, and, and make that bridge between a job that they don't like and, and, and a greater sense of purpose in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me maybe sort of turn it inside out for a second. You know, I have only really I, – I, I've really tried my whole life to only do things that I care about, right? I remember being like – 15 and sitting in my civics class and hearing people talk about what they were going to do with their lives and me thinking I'm never going to do anything I don't want. And I, and I, and I, that's not, I mean, I haven't been able to stick to that. Of course I've had jobs that I didn't like and so on and so forth, but I always strove to be, you know, where I am now. And let me just say that to get to where I am now, it's great. I'm happy where I'm at. But it was a fucking struggle, man. Mm. Like it is really hard. It's still hard. And so my idea is I'm doing this and also – so this is an I, we, all thing. But it's like I'm doing this to make it easier for others, right? So like it should be easy for everyone. It should be. And so I think that that's part of it is like if you hate your job and you, you see no way out now, first of all, make a little bit of time to plan to get the fuck out of it. Yep. You know, give yourself 15 minutes a day or a half hour a day. I mean, that will really add up to get, to use your lunch break and just write in your special notebook at work, you know, or, well, I guess most people are at home now, but it's like, just write down ways that you could get out or your vision of what you want your life to be like. So that's f- fine. You know, like you can just do that. But then also, you know, think about how everybody is in a variation of that situation and how can I make it easier for others to get out as well, right? And how can I make the world a place where people don't have to do this? Hmm. I think that that's, honestly, I think that that's part of the um, the sort of wellness, alt-health, all that kind of stuff, community. They could actually, if they would just, like take in a more sort of spiritual version of socialism they would actually appreciate because i know that there's a lot of antagonism between the two uh worldviews mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. but basically socialism is like you know my my friend billy bragg has a song where the chorus says i've got a socialism of the heart 
take that in, right? Sit, sit in your room. This is a great exercise for people to do. Sit in your room and look around at all the things. Look at the books behind me on the shelf, the walls, you know, the guitar I have over there, the paint on the walls, the light, the floors. And remember that those were all created by somebody else's labor, right? Remember that that was someone's hard work and that 90% chance that person probably didn't like their job either, right? <laughs> and that and that you're in a room that was built by people who are in the same circumstances as uh-huh. you, right? Yeah. And that and when you start doing that, you start creating it's I mean, this guy Lukash called it class consciousness, but you start creating an economic consciousness that links you up to other people in the yeah. world, links them up your struggle and you understand that you're actually reaping the fruits of people who hated their fucking jobs too right so don't you want to do this for everybody you know and that is the lesson of socialism it's like well one of them but it's like don't you want this for don't you want freedom from this for everybody or do you just want freedom for it for yourself so you can hang out in the room and not give a fuck about who built the walls yeah. and the floor and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so that's what i would say is like if you can't get out of your job first of all Come up with the time to figure out how to get out because don't let it kill your soul, you know, and kill your time. But the second part is and, – and you can do that with a life coach or whoever. The people can really help you with that. But the second part is like devote some time to thinking about how to get other people out of that situation. And that might be political change. That might be uh, just learning more about you know, socialist or anarchist causes that might be talking to laborers that, you know, like the guy that comes and cleans or the woman that comes and cleans or whatever, like, what's your day like, you know, and not in some patronizing fucking way, but just, you know, um, I need to learn more about this because your job is no better than theirs, you know, especially if you hate it, you probably are on a very equal emotional plane, (laughs) you know? That that yeah. that process that's beautiful. I really like that. And and in some that's that sort of that really obvious advice is the simplest. <laughs> sort of Occam razors for advice is like if you don't like your job, spend some time thinking about <laughs> right. how right. you yeah cannot work there anymore. I I like that. I like that process of of sitting in the room and looking around at the different things that were built and how they came to be. You know that that that's to to me. It sort of reminds me of um, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the master key system, um, uh, Charles F. Hennel, which was a 1930s um, correspondence course, which is this is like the is like new thought before new thought. It's like the law of attraction before the law of attraction, and it's it begins with this process of a visual a thinking that all the different things that surround you, all the physical objects that sit around you, were ideas first. Everything. All of it, all of it was ideas from the components that, that make the wall to the, the millions of components that are in any different thing. And even, even that process of sitting and thinking about the, the process in which how things are manifested into the world is a useful thing to do because it, it begins, you don't take it for granted anymore that this is like, you know, I guess I, I, I got this like Ikea chair, just sort of like poof out of nowhere. And now I'm sitting on it, but that, that that's just i guess it's just sort of a de- deviation but uh it just sort of rung 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 a bell for me yeah yeah right it's not i mean there are ideas and then they flow through 
the idea comes and then it flows through the labor of other people and the hard work of other people and the structures that make that possible, you know? So it is really important to think about all that. And I, I think that's great. And the, you know, the way I put the same thing using the comic book writer, Grant Morrison is, you know, he said, you know, when I was a kid, my parents were, uh, anti-nuclear activists and I, um, was just watching them all the time. They were talking about the bomb, the bomb, the bomb. And at a certain point, I realized that the bomb was an idea before it was a thing. And Superman mm. was an idea too. So mm -hmm. why wouldn't I work on, why wouldn't I work on superheroes? Why wouldn't I work on a world where people are defending each other and caring for each other and actually had great power to do so, you know? And so that's what he dedicates his whole life to becoming, you know, an, an occultist and a, and a comic book writer. The, one of the most famous comic book writers ever. So I think, you know, um, and he has a great book called Super Gods about it, about how the sort of comic book world is becoming real, which is really fascinating oh, as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that's in New York State, like an hour and a half drive away. And she was like, you do it, you know? <laughs> like, I was like, okay, because you did not fuck with Lynn. And so I, uh, I signed up, I got in, and I didn't know Goethe had anything to do with Rudolf Steiner. I was suddenly living across the street from uh, in, in the second place that I had um, in New York, across the street from a Waldorf school, mm -hmm. or yeah, and next door to a biodynamic farm, and learning all about these ideas from Goethe, really, but that it informed Rudolf Steiner. And suddenly it just started kind of coming to life in me. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that was. I think it must be over, yeah, like over 15 years now um, and really has changed my perspective and my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I appreciate the, the, that background. And, you know, we've referenced, obviously, um, you know, uh, Steiner came up with uh, in the Paul Check episode. Hopefully people have, have gone – down down the Steiner rabbit hole and, and begin to re begin to read deeply on on his work you know it's it seems to be his work seems to be increasingly relevant um and, and potent more and more and I and and part of part of the sort of general sense of you know the the human being as a as a spiritual expression and as a um uh, as a as sort of a conduit for the cosmos and I love that. I love that. And Steiner has come up recently. And I think during this time of like this understanding that we, you know, we need to figure out our food and we need to figure out our health and we need to figure out our spirit. Like what does Steiner have for us now? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the right question to ask, right? Because so many people are intent on accepting everything he said, you know, almost a hundred years ago, well, a hundred years or more, you know, ago, or almost a hundred years at the time of his death, or thinking that it was all nonsense. But the question is, what does it have to offer now? And how can we bring that work forward? And um, I think some of the most profound aspects of anthroposophy, which is his sort of approach to being a good human being, I suppose, is um, some some of those are, one is the materialism thing that we were talking about before. And that is the sort of underlying thing of all of it is that we see the world not as made of objects, but as, a, you know, composed of evolving states of consciousness. But um, 
but you know, the also other underlying message, you know, this is one of his quotes, which I love is, you know, love is the only passion that should not be discarded in the pursuit of truth. Hmm. So we take that on. It doesn't, truth actually isn't as important as love. Hmm. That's really hmm. fucking instrumental, you know, and that's part of what I was talking about before. If you find truth at odds with your ability to love people, you have to understand that there's a missing component of the truth that you've brought into your life. Hmm. Um, I think also, you know, just on a practical level, what does he have for us now is, yeah, a, a system of education that allows kids to grow into their individuality. I think that that's the really important contribution of Waldorf School, where the teacher's one main responsibility is to have love for the students and that the students are allowed to sort of flourish and grow into who they are truly on their you know, on their own terms with these lessons. That's what the lessons are meant to promote. Um, I think the biodynamic farming, which is a really powerful systemic system of farming, which it, you know, is about uh, understanding how different aspects of a farm can self-regulate or self-enforce or cooperate with a human being to produce food. I, I mean, what a beautiful thing. Wherever people land on the history of that or the weirder parts of it it's a beautiful concept and people have used it to great effect um the camp hill communities that he created i think are some of the most i mean some of the most beautiful places in the world you know in the so camp hill is a you know communities for people with disabilities and in the early 20th century i mean this is like you know <laughs> I mean, think about the time era this is, right? So it's pre-World War II. And Rudolf Steiner saying to people, if you don't, if you think of people with disabilities as incomplete or damaged, you are smearing your own soul. Hmm. And if you call them incomplete or damaged, you know, so these stupid ideas that he somehow embraced eugenics because people are incapable of reading his actual work. He founded the community for people with disabilities based on the principle that they are whole people, you know, and, and not that they are somehow less than anybody else, but rather they're whole human beings. Right. Um, th that's, I mean, that's really profound. Um, and those, there are, there are lots of those communities around the world. And, um, there's been actually lots of work done by non anthroposophist, uh, disability scholars to sort of look into those and how beneficial they are to people. Um, so there's that, you know, um, I think just reading a philosophy or approach to the world that takes as its starting point, you know, the spiritual, the, the, the real existence of the spiritual realm. But I want to caution people, too, because a lot of people, it's extremely complicated. And what happens you know, this this worldview is extremely complicated. And what happens when people start reading is you, you get this. Well, first, usually you just don't understand what the fuck he's talking about. And you're like, what is happening here? But then as you start getting it, like there's this sort of anthroposophical um, uh, tick, which is that people just they just start talking about it. they cannot stop fucking talking about it. They can't find a way to bring it forward with their own being. And like they just will not shut up about it. And it's. 
my view of that is it's almost like it's too much to take on. So it's like binge and purge. It's ah. like it's coming into them and they have to expel it because they actually can't hold it. Wow. So yeah. I would really caution people with that because it can take years to understand a single lecture. Um, but the the better thing to do is practice. You know, there's a book called Start Now, I think, which is a book of exercises by him um, compiled by Christopher Bamford. And that's really that's really beautiful. But the, but the the underlying sort of message too of anthroposophy is that thinking is a spiritual path, and I don't mean thoughts. It's not having the right ideas or just having intellectual ideas, but actually getting into the current of thinking itself. Because I can tell you, you know, like if you have a thought of a cat, that's a thought. But then I can ask you, where did that idea come from, and why did it form the image in your head that it formed? You know, and then we have a completely different question. And why were you only able to sustain that thought for like two seconds before you started thinking about, you know, um, I don't know, like porn or, you know, Netflix or whatever the hell you're thinking about now. Right. So it's like so being able to hold that as well. So thinking, really engaging in the dynamic process of thinking, not thought is a spiritual path in and of itself. So that's another real aspect. And, and that's the appropriate for people who have grown up kind of. Um, indoctrinated by certain aspects of Western culture, it's really important to follow that spiritual path. Mm, yeah, I love that. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, you, the, on the topic of you know reading and and putting together, uh, you know, curating what it is that you're putting into your consciousness and into your heart and into your, you know, uh, into your soul is is so so important. It's it's a battlefield. <laughs> it's a battlefield out there, and there's so much. Uh, if you're not if you're not consciously curating the podcasts you listen to and the books that you read, if you're not consciously doing it, then you're just you're just getting mowed over by the people with the biggest ad budgets. And you know, <laughs> you think that the Masked Singer is a cool show, and shame on you. <laughs> but, uh, although although there's. I don't know why I shit on that show specifically. It's got some interesting esoteric and occult, like <laughs> obvious occult meetings. Anyway, I sorry. A, yeah, there's some there's some sort of like anti-mask part of you that um, is rejecting the masked singer. It just goes that deep for you. Yeah, I guess. I, guess, <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. I think anything that has uh, Christina Aguilera or, you know, like the voice, I just uh, that stuff just makes my skin crawl. Um but uh, I, I, you know, I think it's important to curate, you know, interesting pieces of content that will make you f turn your brain on in the right way and not the right way, but in a good way that nourishes you. And I, for one, have been, I had to do away with, uh, with nonfiction, you know, I, I I'm, it's so cerebral for me. There's so much going on that I needed to escape a little bit and, and picked up nonfiction. And I know that you, you just released, um, you just released a book. Recently. Pick up fiction, you mean? Pick yes, sorry. Drop nonfiction and pick up fiction. I need to be yeah. I need to be told a story, right? I need to lose myself in in, in yeah. something. Um, tell tell everybody about the book that you wrote and and why. Yeah, yeah. Well, the novel doesn't come out until well, either late this year or probably at this point it'll be early 2022 oh. because things are getting pushed. But um, yeah, it's called Hawk Mountain. Um, it's a novel that I. I wrote as a short story maybe 15 years ago, and then I just decided I kept thinking about it over that time, so I rewrote it as a novel. 
and it's about uh, <clears throat> a kid who um, a kid and his bully in high school like bumping into each other 15 years later. Oh, that's interesting. So it took me 15 years to uh-huh. write anyway. Um, but <laughs> just realizing putting those two numbers next to each other, but 15 years later and uh, the sort of tension that arises between them, but it becomes very, very bloody and very dark um, very quickly. So uh, that'll be out. Um, yeah, that'll be out later this year, early, early next year. Um, so You've got some time, you yeah, know, to to hear my description and be excited about it. Um, <laughs> but there'll be more sort of promotional stuff and all that kind of stuff about it as we go along, you yeah. know. Well, I want to put my name um, on the list of podcasts to come back to when it's time to <laughs> to promote the okay, book. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you'll still be reading fiction then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I have to. I I have got a. Uh, I I need. I think my brain really needs it. I just need. I need to need to be need to be told a story. Need to lose myself. And right now, I'm reading The Holy uh, by Daniel Quinn, who wrote Ishmael uh-huh. and the Story of B. And I read it in like college, and it's just like I need to go back to that back to that place. Yeah. Um, well, well, I just wanted to say one thing here, which is you know, as another sort of biohack or socio hack for your listeners. Ooh, socio. Yeah. Read fiction you know i and i'm not just saying that to it's fine like i'm doing fine whether you guys get my novel or not although you should because it's fucking great but until you know like read fiction like it the the reason why is you co-create people that don't exist when you read fiction you know Hmm. in other words you have to imagine the presence of another human being and that is really important to be able to inhabit other people in that way. So like, you know, when I meet you, when you meet me, we might have some differences. Like, I don't know where you, you know, like I go out and wear a mask. I don't really have a problem with it. Like, I don't really even think about it. I'm just like, whatever you might not, you know, and if not you, then I'm sure some people listening to the show are like, fuck it. You know, like we might have differences, but the problem is like, I'm when, when I come to, to you when i meet you i have all these imaginations about you right and the extent to which i have the capacity to imagine more of your life to imagine more of who you are to really accept you as a person who's different that capacity is built by reading fiction Mm. i believe that's actually one of the strongest ways to do it because you have to imagine other people and you have to like see a fullness or a richness to their lives to be Uh able to get it. So, you know, so don't just read, you know, read fiction far and wide, you know, that's beautiful. I, I, I love that. I love that your capacity to create characters in your mind to, to, you know, to allow the depth of their experience and to feel for them and to root for them directly translates into how you see others in, 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 in this plane. Oh, I love that. That's cool. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, as we, as we kind of, uh, not kind of, as we take this, take this, this interview home, um, before I ask the final question, which is a fill in the blank question specifically designed to keep you off guard. Um, <laughs> where, where can people follow you? Where should they go if they want to, if they want more Connor Habib in their life? Yeah. Well, you brought up my Twitter before. That's the only social media I really use. And I try each day to make using Twitter less enjoyable for myself so I can sort of <laughs> Phase eventually out. just move away from it. Um, but also, uh, it's, you know, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. 
I offer all kinds of stuff there. Obviously, you get show notes for my podcast there, and anybody can get those for free. But um, I also do like a monthly salon where I talk about a topic with everybody that's at a certain level, and we do Q&A and talk with each other. And there's a real cool sort of community around that. There's like a Discord group for people that listen to the show. I also do um, like pop-up events, and sometimes I offer like coaching services or whatever to people that sign up. I do like, you know, pop-up lectures on how, you know, uh, like how do we view the election was one that I did. And that was just available for everybody that was a patron at every level. So I, I love that. I love having, you know, and the people are so different because, and that's the thing that I, I'm just so happy about the kind of community I've been able to build through the podcast and through Patreon, because I don't have one, I don't have a monolithic audience type. Hmm. You know, there are people that come to listen that are into the occult. There are people that are democratic socialists. There are people who are uh, just into porn, you know, because I was a porn performer for 10 years. You know, there are people that are into sex workers' rights. So it's this whole different group of people, and they all get to talk to each other and express in a really feeling way. And that's so important to me. And I think a lot of that comes out in the discussion that you and I have, where maybe you and I and me and some of your audience don't see eye to eye on certain things. But the point to me is to find, really find love with each other, not mm. some fucking cheap Instagram version of like, remember to love each other, guys. Peace. <laughs> you know, like hashtag whatever the fuck. You know, it's like, but actually really do the work of trying to meet someone with your heart. Um, yeah. That so and that's what people do through my Patreon and I'm so I'm so happy for that. Mm, that's wonderful. I, I I everyone listening to that feels that authenticity, the 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 real purpose in your voice and in cultivating community. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. So, All right. So knock me off my feet now. All yeah, right. Here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you said that and that was beautiful, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. Go here ahead. you go. Ready? Uh, it's fill in the blank question. This can be based on anything and everything that you know. Um, you can elaborate as much or as little as you'd like. Um, please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I, the first thing I thought of, since I haven't talked about sex at all in this episode, um, is uh, everyone would benefit from knowing that sex is not supposed to be an immersive experience that obliterates your consciousness, but that actually what happens when you have sex is you're often thinking about other things like, you know, um, the joke I made on Paul's po podcast is like, you know, um, what do I have to do? You know, what what's my laundry list tomorrow like what do i have to get from the grocery store does this blowjob make me look fat you know like that kind of <laughs> stuff so like so when people think about sex they think about it as this completely immersive obliterated experience where you stumble into the room and knock the lamp over and it's just so intense that you forget yourself but actually usually sex is an experience where people are thinking where they're experiencing their thoughts, where they have worries, where they have anxieties, and that's totally normal, mm. and you can learn from that. And actually, the idea that it's not that is how uh, 
is how corporations sell certain versions of sex, how Hollywood sells certain versions of sex, and why people feel guilty about hooking up, why people feel guilty about having casual sex, why they feel guilty about having, uh, because they don't experience that self-obliterating, you know, like version of it, and they're like, oh, something must have been wrong. Mm. So, I think it's really important to know that that's how sex usually goes. <laughs> So I don't know why my mind went to, maybe it's just it's late in the day and you and I have been talking for so long and I, I'm just like, I never have conversations this long without like some sort of sexual innuendo and it just hasn't <laughs> happened. So I just decided, but actually, no, you made a joke before we started. I, just, is, yeah. I was talking about porn. You said you really stay on top of things. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was an innuendo, but it wasn't on my part. Right. Well, so maybe that's why my mind went there at the end. And that was, yeah, just, we'll just bookend with a couple of, with a couple of <laughs> sly jokes there. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been, this has been so, so great. I, I really, I really, this is such a unique perspective, you know, Connor, I just, I have so much respect for the work that you do and the way that you show up in the world. And, um, I really appreciate you being with me here today on the optimal performance podcast. Uh, thanks a lot, Sean. And scene right on.